Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Good morning. If you are following along with us, which we hope you are, we also hope that you are reading along uh, with a daily proverb uh, in in your regular reading. We've been doing this for uh, uh, basically when Jesus was still on the earth. So uh, uh, verse upon verse. And and, uh, so we're in Proverbs chapter 20. If you'd like to turn there with us and uh, we will we will get going. I, I told you a little bit of the story several weeks ago. Um, I, I provide Bibles that I've preached out of um, to any of my grandchildren that want them. And, and, uh, and I had a, a grandchild. In fact, I have a video of this particular grandchild, a, a video application to pastor this church. And uh, so I may bring it and, and let you see it. He's nine. And uh, he says something like, hello, my name is Aiden Klein, and I'd like you to consider me as the next pastor of New Life when my, when my papa retires. Please consider me, or something like that. And so, <laughs> okay, you're nine. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and so who knows what he's going to do, but, but I, I just find it interesting that as we, as we go through these things, when it comes up to give one of these Bibles away, it's, it's always interesting as you follow the Lord that it ends up in the hands of somebody who needs whatever it was I was teaching. Uh, uh, so I've been teaching Proverbs. It's largely written for Solomon's children. It's written for teenagers in some ways. It's easy to remember. It's one-liners. It works really well for a teen. And so anyway, God does some amazing things. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We just bless you, Lord God, for how you speak to us. We thank you, Father, that it is timeless wisdom that you impart to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we did a couple of of, uh, chapter 20 scriptures last week. Let's just look at number three again, verse number three. It says, it's honorable for a man to stop striving. The idea behind striving in all of this is the idea that you're working towards an end goal using your energy. And so, so basically this striving is you putting your mind. This is really what rural people have. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you probably were taught generationally that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do whatever you put your mind to. This is that scripture. And so it, what our grandparents might have told us that sounds you know, really, really good, um, probably isn't the best biblical advice because God doesn't take over when you run out of energy, right? So he's not saying, you know, God uh, helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. And yet we've been taught that in some ways, a kind of work ethic and a a scriptural or faith work principle that we use where we got to do, you know, and, and maybe you've done this as you've prayed for somebody or done some of these things. You, you ask somebody, you say, well, isn't there something else I can do other than pray? It's, it's, it's wired in our souls to actively pursue the betterment of people that we love. And so we want to do something. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that it's wrong if it is so captivating that you're striving to accomplish what God has already done for you. So hopefully that makes sense. If what God has done for you is accomplished by the work of Jesus Christ, then you, as an individual, don't have to strive to accomplish that. You don't have to work to get what Jesus purchased active. 
that make sense? What he did on the cross is active because he went to the cross, not because you did something. Now, it's always appropriate for you to mix faith to it. But remember, there is a difference between faith and working yourself to death. There's a difference between grace and working yourself to, to, to death. Remember, grace as an instrument of God will never make you tired. <laughs> right? It's, it's grace doing the work. So it will not make you tired. And so when you find yourself striving or that tiredness, even in prayer, many of you probably have spent enough time in prayer to realize that you prayed yourself tired. Because what you wanted wasn't happening, so you kept pressing and you kept pressing. And again, there's nothing wrong with knocking and seeking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you kept pressing because your work is what you believed opened the closed door of heaven. Only the closed door of heaven is a myth. Jesus opened the door and propped it. Right? It's, it's not closing. And so again, he's asking us to see striving. I think they would have understood that. Remember... He's talking probably, or this is, this is principally related to kingdom training or king training. Solomon is, is leaving things behind for his children so that in this passage between King Solomon and King whomever, that, that they will know how to do this. And so he's actually leaving this behind to, to kind of charge them with how this works. So again, it's honorable. Now, we don't talk like this anymore, okay? We talk in right and wrongs. We don't talk in honor and dishonor. How many of you have ever worked yourself to the place that you're so tired that you mistreat the people you love? Is that honorable? Of course not. And so what he's saying is it's honorable to respect the boundaries that God puts in us as humans. Obviously, you cannot do everything 24 hours a day. Now, when I teach these kinds of things to pastors, I always try and tell them that every, not, they don't, everybody doesn't want you to do everything. But they want you to do their thing. Right? And so the people want you to do their thing, and they don't care if you work 24 hours a day. In fact, in fact uh, a, a survey was taken, and the average person who, who, who answered that, over seven, 1,700 is what kind of strikes me, 1,700 and some odd, um, 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 what do you call that when they do that? Uh, the questionnaires turn back in. The average pastor had to average 109 hours a week to get done what everybody thought we should be doing. Now again, and that might be right, you know, you, you should be, you know, visiting two, three, four nights a week, spending a couple hours a day, you know, in people's homes when they don't want you there. And, and <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And, and you should make sure to see every sick and, and, and every rest home person, you know, and, and look for people to visit in your spare time so that you can witness Christ to them, right? And then you should study. The average person believes that a, a pastor should sp spend between 20 and 40 hours preparing a sermon. Okay, can I point out to you that I do at least two a week. So already I'm at 40 to 80 hours, according to the average person. That's not honorable, is the point. See, I don't, you can't overwork me. I work for God. I have an audience of one. 
right? Not an audience of how many ever people are here on any given Sunday. And hopefully, and I'm still working on this, but hopefully I get limited, if, if any at all, value for how many warm seats there are or how many nickels go in the bank. You have to be prepared to live for an audience of one. If that's honorable for me, it's honorable for thee. Live for an audience of one. You have cheerleaders that potentially live in position two. Hopefully your spouse is a real cheerleader for you. Okay, and that goes both directions. Number three, maybe your children are. Number four, maybe work or the friends you have. And number five, you know, your church ought to be cheerleading you as well. But you live based on an audience. But what's happened is that we've moved some of those things well above our relationship with God. That's not honorable. Are we together? So when he says these things, see, we can gloss over this and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Other people work. It's not honorable. The boundary that God gives us is a boundary of honor. Not right and wrong. Okay? Now, if in our job, I always love the argument about minimum wage. There's a political argument today about minimum wage, and we should be, be paying people way more money. Okay? Probably true. Do you understand that a person who lives through honor has never been underpaid? It's a moot argument. You don't even have to have the argument. Well, yes, we do. We need to force people. You understand that if you have to force somebody to do something they don't want to do, we wouldn't consider that honorable. Are we tracking? So see, this is a really important verse, right? It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool, I love this language, can start a quarrel. You get out there and, and, and hear this. I mean, you can hear in, in, in today's political climate, you can hear it in relationship to hourly wages. You can hear it in relationship to homeless people. You know? And people just fight you tooth and nail over this stuff. Any fool can start a quarrel. If honor was our position, we would cease striving and by default create way less quarrel. Hello. It was God calling, don't worry, we'll get the message. So, so you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Honor has to be our function in what we work for. I, I just like to see the light bulb turn on in some of your faces. Not because I'm preaching to you, but because I want you to get this. You need, you need to change. You know, well, I have to go to work. Listen, work is just another expression or another opportunity for you to live in God's word. You say, well, I can't do that. They won't let me. Are they going to throw you in jail? And by the way, if they do, write something really cool because that's where Paul got his stuff. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, are they going to kill you? And before you say, well, they might, good for you, you win the race. I mean, you see, honor puts us in a whole different perspective when we deal with these things. So any fool can stop a, start a quarrel. Notice verse number five. It says, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. Now remember, the heart here can represent the combination. Let me see if I can give this to you. You all know that you are essentially three parts. You have a heart in your flesh. You have a blood-pumping muscle. Okay? So when you say, I love you with all my heart, you're probably not referring to your blood-pumping muscle. In fact, biblically, the word used for when you love somebody with your whole being like that, it actually uses the word bowels which is way cool. 
Okay, so so anyway, you're not really saying that. You're talking about that part, that 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 meshed part of invisible stuff that happens in your spirit and your soul. So notice what it says: counsel in the heart of a man. Well, your personal counsel can live in your soul. There's nothing wrong with that, but we're going to come upon a verse here in a few that says something like this: that the that the lamp of the Lord does something. Lord is the lamp of the Lord. Let's see if we can find that verse. Um, 27, if you want to just skip over to chapter 20, verse 27, it says the spirit of, the, of, of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Now again, what he, if you don't live in an electrified society, none, I mean, I don't know if anybody's in here old enough to remember when electricity came. I've always been associated with electricity, Okay always been available. Some of you all, maybe you lived where you didn't have indoor plumbing and you didn't have uh, electricity. I don't have any idea. But what he's saying is that in every house, there was a lamp turned on that illuminated how you got from place to place, how you did that. You, you, you couldn't move as effectively without that lamp. So the Bible says the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Born-again people have the light of Jesus in their heart to illuminate the pathway that God suggests, and that's not a great choice of words, but that God suggests is the way you should walk. It, it, it illuminates that. Now go back to verse number 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. Here's the thing. We don't know as the person, let's say we're the, the, the man here, the heart of man, say it's talking about us. The counsel in us that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ is actually pulled or drawn out by people of understanding. Have you ever been with somebody who can't wait to be with you just to ask you a question? Have you ever been like that? Probably, you know, grandchildren, sometimes children, sometimes people who, who know that you're like kind of the religious one in your circle of acquaintances. And they get you off to the side and they ask, what are they doing? They recognize the light. They, they recognize the counsel, right? And here, here's the great thing. They know you're not smart enough to have it by yourself, right? They're pulling something out of you that doesn't belong to you. They recognize, I mean, I, I was in a business the other day. And, and uh, they had hired a new secretary who was a young lady that I went to school with. Now, she knew me for the first X number of years of my life. I graduated high school at 17 years old, and I left. Went to play basketball, learned I couldn't do that. Went to become a psychiatrist, learned I couldn't do that. And God chased me until I stopped running. Okay? And I learned I could do that. Okay, so I've been, I've been ministering now since 1983. Been in, 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 in church ministry since 1986. It's all I've ever done. And I'm smart enough to know with an audience of one, I have an information giver who is one. And people will ask me questions like I'm some sort of Bible scholar. I'm not. Do you know that in the last 40 years you've had as much time as I have to read the Word? Don't look at me and say, well, Pastor, we pay you. See, here's where that lack of honor. We pay you to read the Bible. First of all, no, you don't. I have to close my door and get away from what you pay me for. To read the Bible. You know, getting somebody to change. I mean, when you're my size, you don't hire people to change light bulbs. <laughs> right? 
I can reach them, okay? Eight foot ceilings. Melinda will come up from downstairs and she'll say, in, in, in the theater room, there's a light bulb out. Well, for Larry, who works for us, for Larry to go down, he's got to haul all this stuff down the stairs. And, and forgive me for this, but Larry's like old. <laughs> he's got to carry all this stuff downstairs. When I can stand there and go, whoop, pull that off, take the light bulbs out, put a new one in. If it doesn't work, I can take the light apart and put a new ballast in there and make it work in a few minutes because I can reach everything okay now remember the striving I could get frustrated say well that's what we pay Larry to do but honor suggests rather than taking my beloved friend Larry and I've been together and actually working together since 2000 and something when he started driving me to the prison we spent a lot of time together and I don't want him on a ladder even when it's short Okay? So honor suggests, you, are you tracking with me? So when we get down here and we say counsel is here, there's certain things inside of us based on God. And a man of understanding will draw them out. Now you can play either role, right? Come on. Many people in today's society get half-truths off the internet. Or from your Facebook friends, who if push came to shove, aren't your friends anyway. I mean, not really. Which ones of them are going to drive to your house and sit with you? Not very many of them. Those people in that relationship, one of you has the opportunity to be a counselor. One of them has the opportunity to be a man of understanding. And it interchanges, right? But a man of understanding will pull that deepness out. You, you want to process this a little bit so you can recognize that if you find somebody who has deep water, hang with them. Get in the room. I've always suggested in my life it's very important to get in the room. And what I mean by that is there are opportunities that some of us pass up because we're too busy to get in the room. I've been in the room because my buddy from Colorado Springs called me. He says, hey. I only have nine people signed up for this. You should come, Glenn. I said, well, what are we doing? Well, John Maxwell's going to be here. I'm telling you right now, nine people in the room, I got more questions than those guys do. Because I'm a man of understanding. I know I don't know. Are you tracking with me? See, you got to know what you don't know. And if all you ever do is get next to people who know what you know, they're just as dumb as you are. Get next to people who are different than you, but have a counsel that God put in them. And start pulling that stuff out. It'll make you better. Okay, I spent too much time on that one. Skip down, if you would, please, to verse number 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. The hearing ear. Now, we can make this physical. You understand that in the, 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 the creative, the creation narrative, that it's highly likely that in the likeness and in the image represents not only how we are invisibly, but how we are physically. So I'm, I'm thinking that God has ears, okay? And he made them. But how many of you know that you have physical ears and your physical ears are affected by some stuff? Tracy and I ate in a restaurant yesterday or whenever it was. 
wasn't yesterday. It doesn't really make any difference. If I told you the right day, would any of you be impressed? Probably not. Okay, whatever. And it was so loud. And they put us back in this little corner piece, which I thought, oh, that's great. You know, this little circular booth kind of thing. And so my wife can get back there and tilt our heads together and have this little intimate time of conversation because our week was just crazy hairy. And so we can sit back there. But it was so loud, you couldn't hear yourself. How many of you know that was my outside ear? Okay, how many of you have been in that same situation and with your inside ear heard something? Right? Just like, like, was it Elijah or Elisha? Whichever one of them was in the mountain with God and he went there and, you know, every, all these big things came by and it wasn't him, but he found him in the still small voice. Okay, so again, what, what you, <laughs> you have to understand that your physical ear just like the internet or anything else, is tuned to hear what's either interesting to you or what you're already convinced of. Right? I mean, I'm always amazed the people that'll get wound up when somebody says, well, you know what they're doing. Well, first of all, I don't know who they are. But then they tell me what they're doing. And they're all kinds of wound up over it. And I'm thinking, Really? Like, do you actually know somebody that they did that to them? And then they'll say things like, and you know, if they get that done, it's just a slippery slope. All that may be true. But you understand that your listening is affected by your outer ear. Your listening is affected by your outer ear. What you're listening to is what you're already tuned to. I was minding my own business several years ago, more than 10 years ago, sitting in my office, and out of the clear blue sky, or however, out of heaven, came this word that I heard. I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't have it on me. And the Lord said, I want you to pray for Chinese miners. I went, sure. What do you mean pray for Chinese miners? And so, what? guess what? I wasn't able to go to the internet to get my information. I had to go back to God and go, well, well what do you want me to do? You know, I'd, I'd never seen a story about Chinese miners in the news. Do you know if you look for those, you can find that Chinese miners are being killed willy-nilly. They're dying, some of them potentially, without the possibility of knowing Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to get you to pray for Chinese miners. I'm assuming God spoke to me because he thought. You know, do you understand that God won't frustrate the unwillingness, the unwilling with an answer that requires obedience? Does that make sense? If you're not tuned towards that, for God to ask that to you, and, and you'd be angry at God, you'd be frustrated. Oh, I can't believe you're asking me to do that. I can't do that. God rarely asks the unwilling a question that requires obedience in an area that they're unwilling to function in. Does that make sense? And so in this case, the hearing ear has to do with what happens on the inside of you. Same with your seeing eye. So you can see with your natural eyes. But how many of you know there's a whole bunch of stuff happening that's not visible? God made all of that for you. Now notice what it says. The Lord has made them both. And then he says what? Do not love sleep. I'm thinking, wait. Are these attached? Are these attached? He's really talking about slumber here. And, and slumber allows for your body to slow down. Your heart rate goes down. Your body temperature changes. And all of a sudden you drift off into dreamland. God can speak to you that way. But how many of you recognize that when you love sleep 
And not just natural sleep, but, but the, the kind of, of sleep that makes you sleepwalk through life. It'll affect how you're hearing ear and your seeing eyes. Right? You ever seen any of those, those deals on, on like funniest home videos or whatever? And some person will be talking, walking down the street, doing this and talking. All, all of a sudden they run right into a pole. That's really funny. But what happened there is that they just essentially became unaware and ran into something to their own detriment. When you become unaware through, through, through kind of sleepiness, right, it'll bring you to poverty. That's what the word said. Now, I tried to, I tried to, to, to unconnect these two verses, but I think they're connected. I think what he's trying to say to us is that the Lord made all of this, okay? He made your eye that you see with physically. He made the eye that you have soulishly. If I had a nickel for every time somebody came to my life and, sa and said, I'm asking God to take away how I see what I see. Okay, so they're seeing with their eyes in the soulish realm and they're affected by a lust that's inside of them. Come on, how many of you? There, there, I, I preached one time in, in a town in Nebraska, and this 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 restaurant I can't remember the name of it was famous for its desserts. And so, right as you walk in, what did they have right there? A case full of really pretty. I mean, pretty. Dive in the case, okay? Pretty. I'm thinking, hallelujah. And so the pastor that was hosting me, he says, Glenn, you ought to have some of this. Well, it was a carrot cake. It had nuts in it, and. I'm, I'm sometimes uh, extremely sensitive to nuts. I'd, I'd like to declare victory over that in the spirit realm, but my flesh still stops breathing. So <laughs> it's kind of important that you know that you know that you know before you test what you know. Amen. And so, so anyway, you looked at it, but, but here's the thing. I'm absolutely convinced that sometimes our eye will, our natural eye will fool us because we'll ignore what our spiritual eye is saying to us. It may look really good, right? But, but lots of frosting on a cow pie, it's still a dressed up cow pie. Right? Looks real pretty. Don't eat it. Amen? And, and so you, you've got to pay attention to these things. Why? Because it will lead you to an area of provision. Now, I'm going to remove remove the poverty word because I don't want you to tie this to prosperity versus poverty. I want you to tie it to poverty versus provision. People who are in poverty, whether it be spiritual, soulish, or physical, walk by the answer that God has given them every single day. But their eye is focused on one thing. Okay, So in the natural realm, they'll say, why don't I have any money? They'll never consider that in the soulish realm, their eye lusts for a stack of money. If you plant the seed of money from a lust procedure, what are you planting? Come on. See, everybody thinks, I'm going to plant this money. If you plant it from lust, if you plant it from greed... You are planting the spiritual seed of greed. It will reproduce after its own kind because the Bible promises. <laughs> 
Right? And so what he's saying here is, is unless you come to poverty, you'll miss being sleepy, sleepwalking through life. You'll miss the very things that God put right there for you to trip over in your life. Does that make sense? And you say, well, but pastor, I, my, my pastor taught me that we can have everything we say. Only if what you say aligns itself with God's word. And that's the first step. The second step is you can't lust over it because that doesn't line up with God's word. Right? Are, are we together? Because you see, that's what leads to poverty. He says, don't love sleep. I think it's not just talking about physical sleep, but the sleepwalking that we do with the lack of understanding that we have. The number of people, you know, I've been in the, in the, in the quote-unquote prosperity movement for 40 years. And I've had my arguments with them. When I get the letter that says, just send me $100 and I'll believe for your 1000 And I said, well, if you want me to have $1,000 and you need money, real focus is you need money, why don't you send me the $100? And I'll believe for your thousand. See, there's a breakdown in that. And I'm not saying everybody who sends you a letter for money, you have to respond in what God does in you. But you understand that if you sleepwalk through life, all the magic potion that you say works is only a formula that's affected by your soulish eye. Your soulish eye. I, I know a, a, a preacher who got in all kinds of trouble. Now, Tracy and I were in a pastor's meeting when he talked about it, and his, you know, private jet, which is who knows how many millions of dollars, has a bedroom in it. I'm thinking, nobody needs that $50 million jet. You know, nobody needs that. I found out that I didn't know something. When you look just with your eyes, judge it with your soul, you'll miss what the Spirit has. And he was talking about the church that I didn't even know existed that he pastors every Saturday night before he flies back to his own town to do three services on Sunday. No thank you very much. Okay, I don't want to get on a plane in a particular city at midnight, fly across time zones the wrong direction to get home at four in the morning only to get up at six o'clock to begin to pray for the eight o'clock service. While I sit in a tin can, not built for somebody my size. He's not my size, so he probably is way comfortable. You know, who knows? But see, I didn't understand that. So now spiritually, my honor gene kicks in. I'm going, oh yeah, he needs a bed. He needs not to be governed by the time frame of natural flight schedules. He's a, he, he, he needs, and so guess what? A driver picks him up at the airport. Why? Because he's tired. <laughs> Casey Treat in, 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 uh, in uh, Seattle, uh, Christian Faith something, Christian Faith something, red-haired guy, got saved from the drugs, became a church, built a, a, a church on either the south and then got another one on the north. Some big construction guy with a helicopter goes to his church. Okay? So he says amen, and they usher him out the back door, and into the helicopter he jumps. Man, I want that job. They do five services, back and forth and back. You know, I'm just telling you right now, I, I was in a helicopter in Florida recently, or, and, and they're not nearly as cool as you think they are. And if you have to do it five times a day, it's not really cool. 
I don't care whose it is. The point is, if you don't see things as you sleepwalk through life with not only your physical eye, but with your soulish eye and your spiritual eye, or hear things that way, you will make slap judgments that are not honorable. That's kind of what he's talking about here. Are we, are we good? Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. <laughs> Corinthians tells us that he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4 says. So what's he saying he's going to give you? If you only have natural eyes, you're going to see a loaf of bread. If you have spiritual eyes or soulish eyes, you're going to see whatever it is you want, right? Like the kind of bread you want. Fresh out of the oven bread, sliced thickly so it'll toast nice. That's the kind of bread I want. Or you're going to see spiritually the bread that God offers, the bread of life. That's not real. I mean, that's not, that's not bread like what I'm talking about, right? And so you, you've got to do that thing where you, where you use all the facilities that God gives you. We good? See, there's a lot in that verse, right? And you read these things, you just, you know, cruise through like, well, the pastor gave me an assignment to read Proverbs. And, I, you know, we've been doing this now for like 24 weeks. So eight months or whatever that is. No, four, six months. So you should have been through Proverbs six times. And still when I teach this verse, some of you go, wait, what? See, it takes some time to open those sleepwalking eyes. Well, I'm reading Proverbs. It's getting real boring. Because you see what you already know. You see in the soulish realm what you already want. I wisdom dwell with prudence and the knowledge I want that. Proverbs 8, 12. I, I want that. Witty invention. I love witty inventions. Do you understand that you're living with things that people had to think up? Now, how does creativity work? Creative people look at the same thing you look at, but they think about it differently. Right? You say, well, how do they think differently? Well, obviously, they think differently than you, or you'd be Steve Jobs, because that was a good idea. Make sack full of money. Oh, that's what I want. Probably why. That's why you, when you see these people, Elon Musk's prime example, I don't know whether he's saved or he's not saved. But, you know, if you look at that with your natural eye, you ought to say, well, enough's enough. And I heard he started another company this week or last week sometime, you know, and I don't know what it is and I don't really care. I mean, the guy's working like 20 hours a, a day and he just keeps making stuff. You're thinking, man, tap the brakes. But he sees things differently. Isn't it, and, and please forgive me, if he's born again, I apologize. If he's not, can you see that he's tapping into seeing into the invisible world and, and, and solving questions that you don't even have? Man, when the Christian world figures that out, they become knocking to on our door. Does that make sense? Verse 17, bread gained by, by deceit is sweet to man. Why do you warn us of that? Because there's always a picture of you in your mind taking advantage when you shouldn't. Using deceitful ways when you shouldn't. Come on, how many of you ever had the opportunity when, when, when somebody um, overpaid you in change? Even by just a little bit. Well, it's their fault. They gave me too much. 
See, bread gained, it'll seem sweet, but it'll cost you in the end. But afterward, his mouth will be filled with gravel. Now, I don't know that I can make it as any bigger than it actually is, but can you imagine trying to share God's truth with a mouthful of gravel? It makes it real difficult, doesn't it? Why? You say, oh, I didn't realize, and we stammer and struggle and get over things. We just need to pay attention. Amen? Look at verse 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. I love this verse. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. You need to get past the idea that your hope is that that one nasty person will get theirs. You understand that hope, if we go back to how we started this with the honorable picture, that hope's not honorable. What we really end up hoping for is somebody's punishment when Jesus died for all of our punishments. Right? And so we, we take our, our natural eye, using the other parts of this, this chapter, we use our natural eye to see situations that we think, all right, just wait. God's going to get you. Just wait, boy, when you get to heaven. Listen. Can I point out to you that if you get to heaven, you don't get kicked out? <laughs> if, you, if you're presented before the judgment seat of God, whatever you think that is. In fact, in the, old, in the olden days, it's B-E-M-A, the Bema or Bema seat of God, where you got rewards. Everybody needs something to cast on the golden sea in front of the throne of God. You get rewards, you say. And even if he has nothing, he won't suffer loss. That's what the passage says. If you get there, he ain't kicking you out because you didn't bring what you thought you needed to bring because there aren't any admission charges. Jesus paid the price. Right? That makes sense? And so look at this. Is, I will recompense. I know this is a terrible thing to think about. But go ahead and, and do the internal audit and see if you're waiting for someone to get their education from God. You know, that... I mean, honestly, don't you think if, if God was in charge of lightning bolts like you wished he would, he would have struck you with one of them to get you thinking about you need one? Right? I mean, I mean, I remember when Rod Lyons used to come up to me, he'd have some frustrating thing. He says, Pastor, I just want to know, what do you think about this? He says, I think that God should give us the ability to kill one person a year. <laughs> well, what if you're on somebody else's list? If you don't kill the right person then somebody's still in line to kill you. The, the thing breaks down in a real hurry. The same way with marriage. If you think, well, I'm going to, this is my soulmate. Okay. Somebody along the way, not listening to God, goofed up the process and married the wrong person so that somebody else didn't get their soulmate. So now that, that person marries the wrong person. And all of us are married to somebody that God didn't design. Unless we trust God. When we look at our spouse and we say, this is the man or woman. Those are the only two options, by the way. <laughs> this is the man or woman that God gave me. See, that, that, that's, that's the honorable. God didn't make any mistakes with your spouse, okay? Amen? Do not say, I'll recompense. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. I love that. I love that language. He will save you. What's he saving you from? Your own, self. Your own self. Isn't that awesome? He said he'll save you. From what? 
A seed planted returns after its own kind. If you plant vengeance, it's going to come back on you because God promised. Amen anyway. Do you see it? He said, wait for him. He's going to save you. Verse 27, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. If you're not sensitive to this, you won't realize that the light of the Lord points inward, not outward. Do you see it? Searching all the depths of his heart. That thing doesn't come out like you want it to. And, you know, pointing, going, okay, walk right over here. It points inward, illuminating how God wired you and what he's called you to do. It points in. I know we want it to point. I want it to point out. Wouldn't it be great in any ministry? You're, you know, you're walking around and God shines the light on the person in Walmart and, and then tells you, go pray for this person for these things. Wouldn't that be great? Because you just walk over there. But you see, here's another honor thing. If you went, if you did that, that person, because you wouldn't have the character, that person would reflect what only belongs to God back on you. Right? You'd say, oh yeah, well, I found you. I prayed for you. Now you're better. Please give me money. Amen? Searching all the inner depths of his heart. Do you see it? I mean, it, it, it's so interesting to, to, to think that God, certain, if you were to look this up, you'll probably find something about your belly or your innermost being. I don't know how many of you, if you only see it with your natural eye, wants, want God to inspect your small intestine. It's not what he's saying. right? It probably doesn't carry anything. Or God giving your pancreas a good look. You know, what lives in your pancreas? I don't know. You know, I mean, wh why, why did we get a spleen if they're continually taking them out of people? What does it do? Right? And, and so it's not that, that natural thing. It's not saying, oh, yeah, he's checking over your body, looking at your liver. Could be, but there's something bigger and deeper. This innermost part is that thought process that aligns itself in the invisible world. The only thing that makes you think it makes sense to lay your hands on the sick people and they will recover is the invisible world seeming real. <laughs> okay, I've never seen that happen. Okay. You know, the fact that you've never seen it happen doesn't change God. I've seen people miraculously delivered from things that people, that man said, this is never going to happen without our help. Miraculously delivered. Why? Well, because God's bigger than that. Amen. Look at chapter 21. It says the king's heart, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now, remember, it's possible that Solomon, as the writer here, and we're still in that 10 chapter place where Solomon is historically believed to be the writer of those firsthand rather than a scribe or someone else. It doesn't really make any difference. Sorry, there was a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo for you. So what he's trying to say is that the king, in this case Solomon, who's he's writing this because he experienced it. Right? I mean, this is like, like evidently, like firsthand. Who would have thought that the offspring of an adulterous relationship 
right? David didn't get together with Bathsheba. Obviously, the first one died. But Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. It's not supposed to work. God was supposed to strike him too because we can't explain why God would put something like this in the lineage of Christ because it's just so bad. He says, I experienced this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Amen? Why does that say time, time, time up there? What? Is that really what it's going to say? I thought, what version is that? Mine doesn't say that. They thought I was ignoring their signs. And they were right. We're going to pick up chapter 21 next week, okay? I could have kept going. Yeah, just... (laughs) Stop preaching, that's better. Yeah, great. I'd like you to put some of that up here, okay? Put, put up here, you know, clap for the pastor because he's feeling a little down today. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word. We are simply awestruck by what you leave for us in your word. Thousands of years old, Father, and still as fresh as the day that you spoke it through the writers. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.